This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. New details tonight in that fatal mid-air crash involving two float planes. It happened near Ketchikan, Alaska. The planes were on a sightseeing tour carrying cruise ship passengers and left Vancouver on Saturday. At least four people are dead, including a Canadian, and two are still missing. Our Grace Key is live in Ketchikan with the latest on the investigation and how that tight-knit community is coping. Grace. Well, the National, uh, the National Transportation Safety Board arrived this afternoon. So as the search continues for those two missing passengers, investigators will try to determine how this collision happened. After hours of searching, still no sign of two missing passengers near Ketchikan, Alaska. Four people were killed, including a Canadian, after two float planes collided. Fourteen passengers on both planes were sailing aboard Princess Cruises. The ship left Vancouver on Saturday. We're hoping for the best that there's survivors still. Uh, we're not giving up hope on that. Uh, they could be out there uh, amongst the tree line somewhere and just waiting to be found. It's believed the float planes collided mid-air on Monday while on a sightseeing tour. Ten people were rescued and some were able to swim to shore where they waited for help. <laughs> a prayer vigil was held at the local hospital in Kitchikan where the injured were taken. Many here knew the pilot who was killed flying the Beaver float plane. Randy Sullivan grew up in Kitchikan. He'd been flying since he was a teen. He leaves behind a wife and two children. My best friend's dad was one of the pilots that died, and we just wanted to show our support to him by coming and praying for all these people. Randy was a wonderful man, family man, funny, entertaining. It's a beautiful family that he left behind. He'll be missed. Four passengers with more serious injuries were flown to Harborview Medical Center in Seattle. Five people remain at the local hospital. One has been released. The more hours you fly, the, the, the bigger the percentages that you're going to have an accident. Uh, and when that happens, this community always um, steps up and uh, pro essentially provides a rescue squad of whatever kind of assets we need. And, and this crash was no different. All right, Grace, what's, uh, what are the next steps in the rescue effort or the search effort, I should say, and uh, the investigation? Well, the search is going to be continuing in the air, on the ground, and in the water with divers. The National Transportation Safety Board says they expect to pull that wreckage, wreckage up tomorrow. They're also going to be interviewing survivors of that plane crash. The investigators expect to be here for the next five to seven days. Sophie? Grace Key reporting in Ketchikan, Alaska. Charges have now been laid in connection with a fatal shooting in Langley. 31-year-old Tyler Pastick was shot and killed near the Brown Social House on 200th Street back in 2017. Police found a second male victim at the scene. He survived the shooting. Today, investigators announced David Tull is facing several charges, including first-degree murder and attempted murder. 
A glimmer of hope for drivers fed up with being stuck in traffic trying to get between the North Shore and downtown Vancouver. The province is launching a study on a new rapid transit line to connect the two. Aaron MacArthur breaks down the potential options and why some feel it's all just a pipe dream. Want to get across Burrard Inlet? Three choices. Two if you have a car. Neither one works particularly well anymore. Iron workers in Lionsgate often so clogged with commuters, you might be better off taking the sea bus. The provincial government wants to do something about all that sitting, launching a feasibility study into rapid transit to the North Shore. We're trying to figure out how we can get rapid transit over to the North Shore in a way that will benefit the region. No one who commutes regularly holding their breath. Think it'll ever happen though? That's the next question. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> In my lifetime, maybe. Yeah, right. i got to figure out where to put it. That cynicism, well-founded. Any North Vancouver transit project would have to get in line behind UBC and Surrey at a minimum. There are cost considerations, business cases to be made. TransLink pegs any future third crossing three decades away. And then we start working with our partners on funding and business casing. So it takes, it takes years, just like all the previous rapid transit extensions. The North Shore has been squeezed for a generation. More density, more traffic, more jobs, but the same commuter links. The groundwork needs to be laid. We are doing the work that we need in order to be ready for when we need to make our case for the North Shore and why we need what we need on the North Shore to, to, to relieve traffic congestion. The feasibility study will be done by 2020. The train or gondola or whatever option is chosen might be operational by 2050. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A fatal crash in Maple Ridge today shut down a stretch of the Lougheed Highway for several hours. Witnesses report the driver of the car, which was traveling westbound, allegedly crossed the center line, colliding head-on with the truck. It happened in the 27200 block of Lougheed Highway. The driver of the car was killed. The passenger in the car transported to hospital by air ambulance, and the driver of the truck was taken to hospital by ground ambulance. And how about this for some scary moments in Burnaby today? A man and his granddaughter escaping this vehicle just in time. It happened on Burnwood Drive near the Burnaby Mountain Golf Course. Flames from an engine fire quickly engulfed the car. Thankfully, firefighters arrived moments later and put it out. Meantime, in a move for safer streets, today Vancouver City Council approved a pilot project for a default 30 kilometer an hour speed limit on side streets. Tanya Beja has more on the plan and why it doesn't just apply to drivers. Vancouver wants to make residential streets safer for everyone on the road. It's not just about fatalities, it's about serious life-changing injuries that, that have devastating effects on families and individuals. City Council approving the call for a pilot project that would see speeds reduced to 30 kilometers an hour on streets without a center line. We're not going to slow the movements of goods and services on our main arterials per se. We really just want to change the, the conversation about what our residential side streets look like. It's a move doctors are endorsing. Pedestrians and cyclists, when they're hit by a car, they have a much better chance of surviving that collision if it's at 30 kilometers an hour versus 50 kilometers an hour. City staff will choose one or more neighbourhoods for the pilot. The speed limits will apply to drivers and cyclists. Although cyclists might, may not be aware and have a speedometer of exactly how fast they're going, I would hope that they would endeavour to figure that out. 
Vancouver already has 30 zones around schools and on East Hastings, but will seek support from other cities to lobby the province for changes to the Motor Vehicle Act. Changes that would allow for a blanket lower limit without the need for signage on every block. I know there have been a number of municipalities want to see the speed limits reduced, but um, I think we've also got to look at enforcement of how you make sure that people are sticking to 30, so we'll see how the pilot goes. The details of enforcement still unclear, but councillors say the pilot is a matter of changing attitudes on the road. I don't think it has to be a really heavy-handed approach. I think it could be, hey, you know, this is really how we live. This is a more enjoyable experience for everyone if we, we take it easy. A message Vancouver hopes commuters will take to heart. Tanya Beja, Global News. Fresh allegations tonight involving the minister responsible for the Freedom of Information and Protection of Privacy Act. Yesterday, in an ironic twist, Ginny Sims was accused of circumventing the laws that she's charged with overseeing. And tonight, the minister answers some new allegations that she was offered campaign contributions in exchange for writing letters of support, Richard Zussman reports. For the second straight day, it was an onslaught of questions. Can the minister explain why her senior ministerial assistant would have given that direction? Citizen Services Minister Ginny Sims under fire. Today, new allegations. Sims accused of writing support letters for travel visas for 10 Pakistani individuals. The problems? Three of the people are on U.S. security watch lists. The other issue is that Sims inappropriately used her ministerial title. That was done by Arab in the office. The allegations came from Sims' former employee, Kate Gilly. Gilly writing, I should leave it with her and tell no one. I was extremely uncomfortable with this answer as I am aware that there are a number of human trafficking rings operating in and around Surrey. Gilly also alleging Sims spoke openly about being promised donations for writing the letters. I wrote a letter, but no money was ever discussed. And uh, as an MP, I used to write these letters as an MLA. All I'm saying is that I know the people who were sponsoring them. Uh, that should cause the Premier, I think, to question whether or not she has a role in Cabinet at all. Gilly was fired in February. She worked for Sims for six weeks. The constituency assistant also alleging that Sims told her staff to bypass freedom of information laws by using WhatsApp and personal email addresses rather than official government addresses. If it's government work, they're to use my government email, but they're not to use my government email if it's to do with my constituents. The allegation here is that she directly instructed her staff to avoid putting government business in a place where people like the public or media could find it. Sims insisting she did nothing wrong. And Attorney General David Eby says any concern should be dealt with by the Information and Privacy Commissioner. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Some hard bargaining ahead as the provincial government and the BC Teachers Federation try to hammer out a new contract before their old one expires at the end of June. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria right now with more on the issues and potential stumbling blocks to get a deal. Keith. Yeah, a bit of a snag on an important issue, Chris, that's really bedeviled uh, contract talks between the BCTF and the BC Liberals in the past. Now the NDP government is finding on its first go-round with the TF that one issue stands apart from any other. That is class size and class composition, at least the language that determines those issues, how big they can be in the contract. The BCTF won a huge court ruling a few years ago that restored the old contract language. Now the BC NDP is the latest government that wants to change the language to make it more flexible, easier for uh, school districts to employ teachers, 
and move them around and address special needs concerns. But the TF views that as nothing short of concessions unacceptable to them. Caught up to Finance Minister Carol James, whose ministry is in charge of negotiations. She firmly rejects the idea that the NDP is looking for concessions. No one around the table is looking at concessions. We're looking at change, positive change for kids, positive change for teachers, making sure we improve the system. Well, if you take a look at the investments we've made in education, I think it's very clear supporting the contract, putting those investments in place, improving class sizes, uh, that we've made major investments in education. But I'll leave bargaining to the bargaining table. Unclear how this is going to be resolved, though. This is a real important uh, distinction, a difference between the BCTF and whoever forms the government of the day. The BCTF wants control of that language, very unlikely to want to give it up. The contract expires at the end of June. That's the end of the school year. So any job action presumably wouldn't occur until the new, until the new school year beginning in September. So there's still a lot of time, I think, to solve this thing. And if anybody can solve it, the NDP is much closer to the TF than the Liberals were. So there's still hope that we're going to see a successful negotiation here and avoid job action. You would think so. All right. Thanks very much, Keith Baldry in Victoria. Right now, though, a Vancouver Island couple who spent years making a failed farm viable now says their business is at risk due to outdated government rules. They opened an eatery on the farm to consume the foods they grow. But as Kylie Stanton reports, that's not allowed unless they build a brewery, too. The coffee is hot and the food is as fresh as it gets. We grow everything from blueberries to uh, beef to grain. Just two years in, and the Rusted Rake Eatery is booming, making this small-scale farm financially viable. But now, that's all hanging in the balance. It's disappointing. It's frustrating. And it doesn't make any sense. The owner has been told the restaurant doesn't conform with the agricultural land reserve rules. In order to stay open, they're actually being forced to expand by adding one specific feature. Beer. They're enforcing um, a brewery upon us. You know, here we are trying to preserve AL, ALR land for food and uh, that this beautiful land is being taken away and having to turn over for alcohol. According to the Agricultural Land Commission Act, bistros, cafes and restaurants are considered non-farm use in the ALR, except for food and beverage service lounges related to a winery, cidery, brewery, distillery or meadery. We're using Bruja equipment. Lucas has invested $150,000 in order to be in compliance, but says it should never have come to that. I just don't think that the ALC rules are up to date and they need to be rewritten. Lucas has applied to the ALC to operate as is, but that's currently under review. And so she's launched a petition calling on the provincial government to make changes, allowing farmers to operate food service facilities without liquor production. I read the petition and signed it. And I think if you talk to anybody that comes in here, they'd be very happy with what's going on here. The agriculture minister calls it a fair point and admits the rusted rake is not alone. It's something to, to be considered because I'm hearing it not just in this uh, situation, but there's other interests around the province. But until changes are made, beer is the answer. The only way to keep the doors open and the dream alive. Kylie Stanton, Global News. A close encounter with a bear caught on video in West Vancouver. That's right. It's a good reminder that any food left outside is irresistible for bears. This one smelling the suet in a bird feeder. The bear actually climbed up onto the second floor of the house to get it. Wildlife officials are reminding people to be bear aware and not leave any food or unsecured trash outside to avoid attracting bears.
A new Westminster man is sharing his incredible dash cam video as a warning to any driver who visits a tire shop. Check the lug nuts before you leave. After a tremendous thud, you can see the tire flying off and rolling into oncoming traffic. Thankfully, no one was heard. The driver who wants to remain anonymous says the tire shop is covering all of the damage done to his car, which does include some body work, too. It's pretty oh. scary. Mm-hmm. All right. From designer clothing to electronics, it's all for sale online with just a few clicks. That's right. But how do you know if what you're buying is real or fake? Our Consumer Matters reporter, Andrea, has more on the online counterfeit epidemic and how you really can spot it. Mm-hmm. Counterfeit items are on the rise, unfortunately. Thanks, you too. The most common place to find sites selling counterfeit goods is social media like Facebook and Instagram. The Better Business Bureau gets thousands of complaints from consumers who receive counterfeit merchandise instead of their website orders. In fact, 80% of Canadians shop online and close to that same percentage are likely to receive fake goods or worse. A BBB study revealed a startling number of deceptive of web sellers illegally using copyrighted images of brand name items. The counterfeits are often for sale at close to regular prices, so deep discounts are no longer a clue that the products are not genuine. Close to 90% of the imitations come from China and Hong Kong, originating from a large network of organized criminals and credit card processing systems willing to support them. Smuggling and online sales are fueled by fraudulent websites that ship fakes or nothing at all. Make sure that you are using a legitimate website. Look at the website itself. Try to see what information you, you're able to gather before you start putting in your important credit card information. So you want to find out if they have an address that you can go and visit or if they have a physical location on a whole. And when you're making your purchases, make sure that it's, it's through a secure platform. You're seeing things that suggest that the site that you're going to put your credit card information in is secure. So you're looking for that, that lock at the top of your URL screen. You're also looking to see the, the, the HTTPS and the S suggests that that line is secure. If you unintentionally purchase online counterfeit goods or don't receive anything when you buy with plastic, call your credit card company and ask for a refund. You should also report the fraud to the Better Business Bureau or the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre. You can also take your complaint to eBay, Amazon and other online marketplaces. Amazon has an A to Z guarantee for items sold by third parties on its site. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's all my information. You can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Ben. Oh, oh, man, that was amazing. (laughs) I just love the reaction from global viewer Adam Hendrickson, the latest to be thrilled with an up-close killer whale sighting. He was part of a group out fishing between UBC and West Vancouver when about five energetic orcas put on a show. Meantime, check this one out. West Vancouver resident Justin Wu didn't even have to leave home to catch this video of an orca mother and calf. 
just as the two swam only a few meters from shore. Right in our backyard. You never get tired of it. Not at all. All right, well, the weather has changed, but the forest fire risk is still very high in some parts of B.C. The wildfire service says a fire that broke out yesterday west of Osuyas has tripled in size and prompted some new evacuation alerts. But as Global's Travis Lowe reports, the cooler weather is helping. White smoke continues to billow into the sky from the Richter Creek wildfire. At this point, it's still classified as out of control. The bad news is that the Richter Creek wildfire has grown over 100 hectares overnight. But the good news is that present weather conditions are helping BC wildfire crews to contain the blaze. Yeah, the cloud cover, higher relative humidity and a little bit of rain is obviously going to help with the containment efforts at this time. Obviously not enough to extinguish the fire, but it's certainly going to assist in containing it. The blaze started Monday morning on the north slopes of the Richter Pass area between Osoyoos and Karameos. Crews were quick to action the fire using three helicopters, two tenders, and 40 BC wildfire fighters. RCMP say the cause of the blaze is still under investigation, but one report that they are looking into is that it was sparked by a recreational vehicle towing an SUV with the brakes locked on. And had burnt into the grass and then the fire proceeded to burn up slope. Well-known cattle rancher Ace Elkings Ranch still remains on evacuation alert, but as of this morning, the fire is no longer actively moving toward his property, and Ace told us off-camera he didn't plan on going anywhere anyway. Crews are looking to make some good headway on the fire today. With the change in weather, it's going to give our chances of success a, a lot higher. But we'll have to battle in some tough terrain while keeping an eye on the wind. With the steep slope, it actually accelerates the fire behavior upslope. So most of the real active fire behavior is on the upper slopes. Travis Lowe, Global News. A controversial new national park for BC's for BC is years away, according to a new report. The Parks Canada report says the proposed park in the South Okanagan Similkameen is still a polarizing issue among local residents. Federal officials have a lot more work to do to bridge the divide. While the park would enhance con conservation and land protection, 25% of local residents are worried about potential restrictions on hunting, fishing and ATVing. And ranchers are worried about their grazing tenures. In Health Matters tonight, a major donation to the St. Paul's Hospital Foundation will improve care for young people with serious health uh, issues. The Scotiabank Youth Transition Program will support youth as they move from pediatric to adult care. The program will help young patients with cystic fibrosis, congenital heart problems, organ transplants, substance abuse and eating disorders who reach the age where they'll be managing their own health care will have the means to provide enhanced support for youth right across the hospital. For example, we'll have a dedicated youth navigator accessible to all young people transitioning their care at St. Paul's Hospital. Within the PATCH program specifically, we're looking at things like regular introductory workshops to orient new patients. We're developing a robust peer support mentorship program for these young adult patients. And we're looking at ways to harness web or app-based resources. So after all, our patients are young people. If we want to be able to communicate with them and for them to uh, grasp important, critical medical information, it makes sense to communicate with them on their own terms. 
Well, hundreds of children with autism across B.C. are losing programs that make a huge difference to their quality of life. The Canucks Autism Network is warning parents it has to cut some of its services because of a funding decision by Ottawa. Catherine Urquhart reports. More than 4,700 families depend on the Canucks Autism Network for sports and social programs. Every summer, the charity offers six weeks of camps for kids and young adults on the spectrum. But this year, half of those camps are being cancelled. It's just somewhere that they, these kids can go that they feel good about themselves. Apple and some cheese. Yeah. Ann Farnan's daughter, Kira, says Can's camps have been life-changing for her. I like um, going overnight camp and I also like weekly social because it's right across from my house. The cancellations come after Can was unable to secure a $60,000 federal summer jobs grant. Grant applications are made to constituencies. Can's went to MP Jenny Kwan. And what that would have supported is uh, 18 support workers to work one-on-one -on -one with the children in the program and two on-site supervisors. And those people are really highly trained to provide that mm -hmm. high level of behavior support. Kwan says she has followed Service Canada's recommendations on who receives grants. You know, I love the work that they, that they do. I think they should be uh, receiving the funding uh, and they have been recommended, uh, but there's no funds left in our pocket. The MP says there's still a chance that unused grants in another constituency could still be offered to CAN, but there are no guarantees. Disappointing news for the Farnan family and many others. Without Can, I don't, I don't know because there was nothing else for her. There was nothing, nothing for her to go and be accepted. Yeah, that's too bad. We should really get on the funding. It's really important to me and like everyone else who has autism. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. You're watching Global News Hour at six. For the people who work tirelessly at Delta's Orphaned Wildlife Rehabilitation Center, this time of year is like Christmas, New Year's, and maybe a birthday all wrapped into one. Says Linda Ellsworth reports tonight, they're dealing with a bumper crop of baby birds, some of which are ready to spread their wings for the very first time. This guy's not in good shape. Birds don't come to the Orphaned Wildlife Rehabilitation Society, or OWL, unless they're in trouble. This beaten-up bald eagle is no exception. We figure it was probably a, a fight with another eagle that injured him, and then the crows basically were trying to finish him off. He will most likely recover, but his chicks, now the sole responsibility of the mother, who must now both protect and feed them on her own, may not. When mom is gone, those young ones or babies are susceptible to predation. Life can be dangerous in the wild kingdom. This one's a meanie. I love it. Love it. Because being tough will give this baby owl a better chance of survival. He was a baby that was found at the bottom of a tree in Ladner. And he was only about two weeks old, so he was a fluff ball. But with the help of a foster owl named Opa, these orphaned great horned owlets are thriving. Our foster parents are worth their weight in gold because it allows us to pull away as humans and let them do what's natural. Today, they're about to move one step closer to freedom, which ironically begins with capture. Then a walk to their new temporary and much larger home. 
where they'll eventually graduate from hopping to flying, among other things. Once they start building up their muscles, then we'll start live, introducing live food, where we'll fill this cage with some live mice. After they've mastered all the skills their OPA has to teach, they, like the dozens of other baby raptors who come here for rehabilitation, will be ready to fend for themselves in the big wild world. Right now they look cute and fuzzy like little old men, um, but when they're fully feathered and released, they will be a formidable predator. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Nice to see them doing well. And how about this? Remarkable video out of Russia captures a close call for a stork and her eggs. The outcome right after the forecast. Yikes. All right. Yvonne Schell is in tonight for, for Christy. <laughs> <laughs> Yvonne Schell. What? <laughs> I've done it before, what? too. I've done it before, too. <laughs> Uh, Yvonne Schell is in tonight and a little bit of a change for us, Yvonne. Yeah, it was a wet day today. It was much needed. Welcome a rainfall. We saw anywhere between 5 and up to 15 millimeters and we're still tracking a bit of rain through this evening. The silver lining is the bulk of the moisture is really falling through the day today and it's been about three weeks since we've seen any moisture out of the airport. So welcome rainfall. Here's the ominous looking sky right now in our tower camp. 14, an easterly wind out of the airport at 13 kilometers per hour. Today's high up to 15 degrees to a couple of degrees below, but it is going to rebound once again, and I'll show you those numbers with our long range in just a moment. 19 today for areas near Soyuz, the piece up to 13 degrees in areas near Victoria, climbing up to 15. So the moisture across the south coast is really going to start to ease off, but the instability continues uh, early this evening across the central and southern half of the province. We're looking at the potential and risk of thunderstorms, and then it'll ease off right across the interior for the overnight, and a nice dry day in store will be for tomorrow morning. By the morning hours, a part, uh, more cloud cover and then sunshine by the afternoon. So very pleasant for us on our Wednesday. And it'll be overnight and towards our Thursday and Friday that we're going to be looking at on and off showers and temperatures cooling off once again. The rainfall uh, giving us an update on the fire danger rating. Now we're seeing a few spots as low along the coast and moderate for many areas into the interior and southeastern corners. Coastal sections up to 13 tomorrow. Pleasant across the central and southern half of the province. Temperatures still getting into the low 20s for areas near Soyuz up to 23. Uh, Whistler tomorrow will be up to 18 degrees and we'll see more cloud cover across the south coast for the morning. Breaks by the afternoon. Areas away from the water tomorrow getting up to 22 degrees. The blip in the forecast again will be Thursday, Friday. On and off showers, but anticipate that we could see some sunshine for the start of the weekend on our Saturday. Tonight's weather window, a beautiful shot that was captured yesterday near Fort St. John of the Northern Lights taken from Heather. Guys, so beautiful. You just are amazed mm -hmm. when you see photos like that. Very cool. Thank you. And uh, this is pretty amazing, too. Video from a webcam in Russia captures some remarkable images of a stork's very close call with a wildfire. With the nest in the foreground, a wildfire sweeps across the landscape, blackening the earth as it burns. Thankfully, the nest was at the top of an electrical tower. And the flames passed underneath without doing any harm to the birds. And then today, four chicks arrived safely. You can see all that blackened earth, though. Mm -hmm. Especially good news, considering the oriental white stork is listed as an endangered species. Four days later, it is, or five days, I guess, later, it looks like it's grown green grass down there. It's amazing how quickly it recovers after a wildfire goes by. Okay. It is remarkable how... Animals know exactly what to do. 
They do. Get they do. They, it's just, it's natural. Like, if you made me a parent, I wouldn't know what the heck's going on. But They're they, smarter than us. <laughs> they know exactly what's going on. They know exactly how to protect things and how to raise them and things of this nature. Okay. All right. They pushed it, and they pushed it right to the brink. Didn't quite work out for the Giants, though. Yeah, but as you said, there was a point in that series when they were down 3-1 and everybody thought, well, that's it. Especially in that one game, game three, when they allowed seven goals in the first period. They came back. The uh, Vancouver Giants went about as far as you can go without actually winning the Western Hockey League title. Game seven, overtime. But they lost to the home team, Prince Albert. And that was expected. Prince Albert, everyone thought, would win the championship this year. What wasn't expected was a younger Vancouver team to basically be rocky to Prince Albert's Apollo Creed and refuse to stay down, even, as we said, when the Raiders are up 3-1 in the series at one point. The dream season ended for the Vancouver Giants right here. Dante Hanoon, the smallest man on the ice, scoring the biggest goal. It ended in overtime where Prince Albert's experience came through over a young Vancouver Giants team. But a team that put a scare in a franchise that was all in to win it this year before their key guys graduate. They just wouldn't go away. You know, after that first period in game three, uh, they could have went away, and they didn't. They just got more determined, and they made it tough on us, I'll tell you. You know, I aged a few years over there, and uh, but, uh, yeah, they, they played real heavy. You know, they were a heavy team. They were a relentless team, and they just wouldn't go away. The Giants did look a little overwhelmed in overtime, but because they were the younger team, that's not surprising. They didn't attack with the same confidence in the extra session. But it's a lesson they can take into next year when they will be considered one of the favorites to do what Prince Albert did and get their picture taken with the trophy. You know who might hoist the trophy this year is uh, Prince George Spruce Kings. They're at the National Junior A Championships. This was the game last night against the Ottawa Junior Senators and PG was much the best. Nick Pozan with a goal here. Nice pass from Chong Min Lee. That made it 1-0 in the first. Ben Brar had a good game on the power play. And the uh, boys from Prince George have not lost yet after two games at the National Junior A's. Well, if, if the Bruins win the Stanley Cup, I think this guy will be the Conn Smythe winner. Tuka Rask. First period, game three against Carolina on a power play. Makes about four saves right here. A couple of them without a stick. Other end, Curtis McElhinney gets pushed in the net with the puck. But because he was pushed in, it doesn't matter if the puck's over the red line. You in the Hartford Whalers jersey, what is it? It's no goal. You're right, sir. No goal. Another chance for Carolina. No. Tuka Rask with the save. He was huge in the first period. And we've said it a million times. You get your chance to score, you don't. And then the other team seems to score on theirs. Chris Wagner at the side of the net. No one's covering him. That's a goal. And it's 1-0 for Boston in the second period. Brad Marchand. He is loved in Boston, and that's pretty much it. Oh, and his family loves him, too. Um, shoots. How did that get in? I'll show you. Defenseman trying to play goal. Sometimes helping is not helping. It's now 2-1 in the second period for the Bruins. Well, nobody is sure yet if CFL training camps are going to start on time. The BC Lions are supposed to be in Kamloops for camp starting this Sunday. But if the league 
and the Players Association don't come to a new bargaining agreement, then the players won't go. The Players Union knows they aren't negotiating with the cash-rich league. The CFL is not the NFL, but money and player compensation are a big part of it. And the Lions quarterback, Mike Riley, believes in the union's position because he knows what it's like to be in the CFL and not be able to play for much money. We've got a lot of guys on both ends of the spectrum, and I've, done, I've been everywhere in between. You know, when I first came to this league as a rookie, I was on a minimum contract trying to scrape together enough money to pay mortgage and things like that. And now I'm a 10-year vet, and I'm on the other end of the spectrum. And I've, I've, I've gone through the journey of everything in between, so I can definitely sympathize and understand both ends of that. Um, so I want what's best for, for us as players, but I also want what's best for the league. Um, and I think that's the, the angle that a lot of us share as players. Now this was yesterday at Whitecaps practice. John Aritze hurting his ankle, leaving the field, and he will not be able to play tomorrow's game against Atlanta. That's going to be uh, hard on the uh, Whitecaps because this guy is one of their best defenders and their most accurate passer. This week, all the talk before the PGA Championship at Bethpage Black in New York is, can Tiger win another major? He's won a major there before. Of course, he won this year's Master. He is the second most majors of all time behind Jack Nicklaus. But in recent years, the major player at the majors has been Brooks Kepka. In his last seven majors, he has three wins, a second at this year's Masters, and a sixth. And he says he finds major golf tournaments easier to win than regular PGA events. How does he figure that? He shares his algorithm. Um, the easiest way I can break it down is there's... What is there, 140, what is there, about 100? 156 in the field. 156 in the field. So you figure at least 80 of them um, I'm just going to beat. Um, from there, the other, you figure about half of them won't play well from there, so you're down to about maybe 35. Um, and then from 35, you know, some, some of them just, you know, pressure is going to get to them. So only leaves you with a few more and you just got to beat those guys um if you just hang around i don't i think one of the big things that i've learned over the last few years is you don't need to win it you don't have to try to go win it just hang around if you just hang around good things are going to happen that's that, that those are around. those are words for a, for a great life hang around and good things are going to happen well they held the draft lottery the new orleans pelicans will draft number one so they will get zion williamson which means they can now trade Anthony Davis and get a bunch for him and start a whole new program down there. Uh, Memphis, the Grizzlies got lucky. They are going to pick second overall. Knicks third, Lakers fourth, Cleveland fifth. Did I spell Cleveland correctly there? Well, just one day after the passing of Doris Day, the entertainment industry is mourning the loss of another television icon. Today's comedy stars are paying tribute to actor Tim Conway, best known as the impish second banana to Carol Burnett who died at the age of 85. Tim Conway had a funny face. What's the matter now? Oh, those girdles killing me. A face that as it shape-shifted its way through a bit, always drew laughs. Say something to me. Can you hear me? It's in Charles Parker reporting aboard, sir. Conway first came to her attention as Ernest Borgnine's helpless number two, Ensign Parker, on McHale's Navy. But Conway really made his mark and won Emmys as part of the remarkable ensemble on The Carol Burnett Show. 
in sketches where either Burnett or Vicki Lawrence or Harvey Corman would inevitably crack up because of Conway's antics. He had no idea that I was going to immobilize myself with Novocaine. So when I punched my hand, my head, my leg, the whole thing, and went completely, uh, he actually wet his pants. Of Conway, Carol Burnett said today, I'm heartbroken. He was one in a million. He'll be in my heart forever. Hey! <laughs> Ours too. Harry Smith, NBC News, New York. Appointment viewing in our house for many, yeah. many years. The old Carol, Carol Burnett show. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We'll do this tonight. Oh, that's or right. Or the that's left ear. Uh, that, was all, that was her little signal to be... And she take her, questions from well, the audience. Yeah, that's true, yeah. They just sort of yell them out. Yeah. We don't have any audience. I know. We, I mean, we, <laughs> we, should, we should do that. We should have people just yell out questions. Uh, last word on weather before we go tonight. Uh, the rain is going to ease off. We'll actually see a nice bright day tomorrow, but it'll be more towards the afternoon. Windy for a few spots near the water and then unsettled Thursday, Friday. All right. Thanks, Yvonne. And thank you for watching. Have a good night. Good night, all.